Bring Your Own is a live storytelling series that takes place in unconventional spaces across New Orleans. It airs on WWNO and streams as a podcast on iTunes. You can also find it at bringyourownstories.com. This story was told on March 3rd, 2016 at the Michaelopolis studio and later produced by Lane Kathleen-Levinson. That's me. The theme of the evening was Born on Parole and Bruce Riley talks about the trials and tribulations of dating while on parole. She told me it's only been two weeks. And I was like, two weeks? It's been 11 years, eight months and two weeks since I got some action. So what's a guy to do, right? I'm sitting there, I'm living at the bottom of my buddy who's still locked up sister's basement down the stairs on a cot. And she's got a husband, two kids, a baby, and I've got my PO on my ankle. Knowing every time that I leave the house and every time I come home. I'm working a minimum wage job which the PO said, I don't know how you're gonna get to that job. And I was like, listen lady, I will march four hours all the way there. I will work all day long and I'll march four hours back and I'll take a nap and I'll march again. And she looked down her long nose and she's just like, mm-hmm. She had no hope that I'd stay out the 10 years I've stayed out so far. Yeah. Now, I had nothing going on. The, all the money I saved up in the joint over 11 years, eight months, $25 portraits, $100 appeals all the way to the United States Supreme Court, $100, that's a pretty good legal deal. Uh, uh, all my gambling hustle, my cigarette hustle, thousands of dollars I got out with. I spent it all on a driver's license, right? Because you gotta like spend money to make money. But I had no car. And I realized that if I told my PO that I was taking the bus two hours to get to my PO appointment, <laughs> If somebody picked me up and drove me there, I could stop and get a coffee. I might get pizza. And one of the people that gave me a ride, she happened to formerly worked in the prison. Didn't work there anymore. I had a little crush on her. Her name was Linda. Lovely woman. 11 years, 8 months, and 2 weeks. And she she drove me to the PO appointment, of all things. And we pulled in to drop me off, a little bit off to the side. And I'm sitting there, we had a little lunch beforehand, you know, no funny business, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this opportunity may not come up, what am I gonna do, right? And I was like, listen Linda, it's been 11 years, eight months. <laughs> could, I, could I kiss you? And she was like, yeah, why not? I was like, Jesus. <laughs> So I, I, I lean over and we're sitting in our car and we just start making out and I was like, oh my God, this is like <laughs> the best kiss ever. So I get out and I walk into my PO appointment, you know, like, oh, how's it going? And, you know, I have to tell them every place I will be for the next week, all hours of the day. And they will check on you. They will drive by work with a little thing that knows if you're inside. They'll drive by the barber shop because you said you're getting a haircut and know if you're inside. So... I gotta play my game and everything and figure out what I'm gonna do. But of course, I gotta go shopping. I gotta go to the mall sometimes. It might take me like an hour to get there. It might take me four hours to navigate all the stores. Maybe I pack a movie in there and that was my go-to. And then one day, you know, my, my buddy picks me up and he's like, we're gonna go to my mom's 50th birthday picnic. And I was like, yeah. So he picks me up on my way to the mall. I hop in the car and who's in the car with him? 
but his sister Joy. Now, I knew Joy from drawing his whole family portrait. Joy was probably the most beautiful woman I've ever laid eyes on. And I was like, oh my God, she's right there with this huge smile and she's laughing. She knew all about me because Elvis, her brother, was, was my friend. He was my roommate. Uh, great guy. And so we went to the, the, um, to the, the barbecue, picnic, birthday thing. And you know, at one point, you know, we're just talking and everything, you know, and it's going like really easy. You're just like, oh, this is like so comfortable. And oh my God, what's happening here? And I, I remember asking her what, what book she was reading, like what's on her nightstand. And of all books, she said, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I was like, that's the book I'm reading right now, again. <laughs> it wasn't a line. I'm a <laughs> it's my favorite book. It's a great book. I, I couldn't believe what was happening. And so here's a woman who is going for her master's. She grew up like I did. We could talk about the cockroaches on the walls. We could talk about you know, getting the, the government food. We could talk about all this stuff that we went through and the, the abusive homes. And yet at the same time, talk about like, we're making it, we're doing it. But meanwhile, I got no car. I'm like, there's still a nobody. But at the end of the thing, we did see that movie, so I didn't lie to my PO that time. I saw the movie, and then while we were in the movie, we just kind of like touched hands. So I thought that was significant. So then I went out, and I bought my, my, my Honda, my 1992 Honda for, for $900. And I drove, I was living uh, an hour away from her at the time, she was going to school. And I drove back and forth, and I lied to that PO. And when I ran out of gas, I was petrified. I kept lying to that PO. And they would call, and they'd be on you all the time. And here I was, and I was falling in love. Mm -hmm. You know, when the state police came to my apartment in the morning because I had testified about abuses in the prison, and they wanted to know more, and they wanted to get all the information on her, she had to sort of realize what it's like to date someone on parole. I couldn't move to California where she wanted to move to unless we went through all these hoops. And they, they got all this information on her, and she felt violated. She felt like she was on parole, yeah. right? And so then when California, uh, where I was going to go and, and live, I got an apartment. I spent all my money on all that, uh, my minimum wage job. And I had a full ride to University of San Francisco to study theater and social justice, which sounded really great. Uh, and then she's living out there, and she didn't want to get married for the man. She wanted to get married for love. But guess what? Because we were not married, the man said I couldn't move to California. So one Ruby Foo's uh, restaurant uh, date in, New in Times Square when we both happened to be in New York, uh, you know, we, we sort of officially broke it off because things started unraveling. And, uh, you know, and, and then finally when I get off the bracelet after a year on this bracelet, mm -hmm. we had all these plans and I was alone. And I had a drink for the first time in 13 years while I watched a Japanese metal band. <laughs> and I realized that it's not just me on parole. It would have been her on parole, you know? And, and she, couldn't, she couldn't hang with that. And I found out later on that her best friend wrote a four-page letter uh, saying all the reasons why she should leave me. And so I realized that, you know, ever since that we broke it off, I mean, I've been, I've been lying to POs and falling in love ever since. And I'm gonna keep lying to POs and I'm gonna keep falling in love ever since because that's what it takes to live out here. And that's what it takes on parole when you got them on your ankle you got them in your body, you got them on your back. That's right. They don't want you to even fall in love. That's right. Yes. You know? But the silver lining is, I fell in love again. <laughs> I had a beautiful daughter. So, love and lies in the PO's eyes.